Hi there, and welcome to the Engage Employee Podcast. There is an irrefutable body of evidence which proves that organizations with engaged employees have more engaged customers and as a result gain long-term competitive advantage. The cultural and commercial benefits of organizations taking a holistic view of their employee and customer engagement strategies are proven. For over a decade, we've helped some of the world's biggest brands engage with their workforce through our industry-leading conferences and online digital media. To find out more, visit engageemployee.com. Well, good morning, everyone. It's quite early, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I'm delighted to be here. Some really great, at least after mine, some really great presentations that are really going to stimulate us, give us ideas, give us case studies, uh, give us insights. I think my job in this short um, presentation is to try and put that in context. Inevitably, I'll draw my own experience. I'm a marketeer. I've never worked in HR running businesses, then, as Joe talked about, writing them a cloud report with Nita Clark some 12 years ago, and a lot has changed. A lot has changed, and we're in the process of updating that, which I might say a little bit more uh, about later. So the three things I want to cover, essentially, is firstly, what are the major forces that are changing and shaping the workplace that we're beginning to be in and is going to go on developing. What are these forces? Are they fads or are they something that will fundamentally, and I've seen a lot of fads come and go in my long career, uh, what are the real ones that are really shaping things? Secondly, how are we doing? On average, how are most of our organizations doing against these changes, coping with these changes? And then finally, most importantly, what should we be doing about it? What kind of attitude do we need to bring to the workplace now to capitalize on these changes to be successful? Uh, and at a more practical level, the four things that tend to, uh, tend to enable it. So um, what are these forces? I would say there are five main ones. They draw in others that support them. And the five ones uh, are, uh, are these. Firstly, customers are incredibly more demanding than they've been in the past. We want what we want in the way we want it. We want it delivered when we want it, not even the day, the time we want it delivered. We want it in the shape, we want it the colour. My early career was with Dulux. And uh, there was one yellow on the colour card because it was a very expensive pigment development, mate. You were lucky to have a yellow at all. And now, when I last looked, there were 70 yellows on the colour card. I hope you're all wealthy enough to buy a new car. If you do, I understand you will specify the exact makeup of the bits and pieces you want on the car. And it's not many years before you, when you go and see the doctor, you'll have a personalized drug designed to best cope with or best take advantage of uh, your, uh, your DNA. And of course, this is all made possible, Joe's touched on it, but this is all made possible through digitization and AI. So we've got the mechanisms to cope with more demanding customers, it used to cost, PwC said, 10 million to launch a new business. I was speaking to Francis a minute ago about launching a new business. Now it costs around 40,000 you can launch a new business on that. And it's changing so fast, I love this expression, has your market been Ubered? So what, what's, what's characterizing marketplaces and therefore organizations is fantastic need for agility. And the old command and control is too slow. 
I was speaking to a chap who ran a wine department of one of the best-known supermarkets in the country, and he said, when I had an issue, I told the store manager, told the regional manager, who told the head office, head office thought about it for a couple of weeks, told the regional manager, the store manager, department manager, and then he got an answer four weeks too late. Now, of course, all the wine managers in this whole department, they're on WhatsApp. And if there's a great new product, or there's a wine that's corked, or there's an idea that someone's had that's working well, they share it. That's agility. And agility is going to need to uh, characterize organizations that succeed. And of course, with agility, 72% of organizations say that work is, uh, workloads are increasing on employees. The second thing is that we expect to have a voice, don't we? We expect to be heard. The sort of death of deference, the phrase that's been around for quite a while. I expect to be heard. I, was, I know quite a few of you here from the uh, public sector. I worked, apologies, but I worked in the cabinet office for a while and in three government departments as a non-exec. And um, I, was, uh, I was in a meeting and they suddenly said, go and have a word with him, he's one of you. Well, I talked to someone over the coffee break, so I went up this chap. Turned out he was an admiral. Great crushing handshake. And uh, he went on to run the British Navy. Uh, we still got some ships. And uh, he said, uh, we were both asked to give a talk on leadership. And my heart sank, because I thought, well, he'll talk about, be clear what you want. If there's any backsliding, lash someone in public. And if that doesn't work, you know, um, get them to walk the plank. And they'll all be utterly clear what's needed. And I will talk about the fact you've got to listen, you've got to empathize, and of course I'll die a death because of this strong tell gene in the cabinet office. He came, when we discussed, we had a beer with him, when, he, when we discussed it, he said, I'm thinking about entitling my talk, why? Because whenever I tell anyone in the Navy to do anything, I only earn the right to lead by being able to answer the question, why? It's about voice, and even something you might think is very hierarchical, the armed forces. He was very, very articulate on how attitudes are, are changing. 50% of employees want more voice. Voice is going to become ever more dominant in the future. The third thing is attracting and retaining employ uh, employees in an environment of transparency. Open University, 73% of organizations are grappling with skill shortages. Best places to work, 28% of people are thinking of leaving their employees. I'm sure none in this, in this, uh, in this room, but uh, on average, 28% of people thinking of leaving. And the outside has to be consistent with the inside because of transparency. We can look right into organizations so there's no point in producing glossy brochures about what it's like to work here. We know because we go on to Glassdoor, Career Bliss, and lots of others that are being developed as we, uh, as we speak. And, of course, it's been given a big push by, um, by the following. Our chief executives are going to see the analysts. And they're telling the analysts about these brave new world, about the fact that they've uh, got these great strategies that everyone's behind. And the analysts, they've heard of, they've heard of Glassdoor, so they print out, because they're a bit old-fashioned, they print out the, uh, the comments from their employees. You say that, but um, here's, can I read you a couple of comments? And then they see if it comes back huffing and puffing to HR and say, how do you let this happen? It's your fault. So that kind of putting all, much more pressure on, on organizations to, uh, to attract and retain in that kind of environment. The fourth one is just, it's, as human beings, this is so important, and it's going to go on being important, and it's vital, which is diversity and inclusion. 
We need to harness everybody's skills and capabilities. Of course, the, 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 the uh, um, sexual diversity, diversity of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of everything. And it's not just the kind of, um, it's also people who are creative, people who are detailed, people who are visionary, people who just want to get on with stuff. We need a broad church. We have to harness all our people. We need to take diversity and inclusion to the heart of our business. And there's plenty of correlations. The same report was report was 70% want to increase, 70% of organizations want to increase levels of diversity and inclusion. 70% still need to and, and want to. And that, in the same McKinsey's report, those with higher levels of diversity and inclusion were 21% more profitable. And lastly, well-being and stress. You know, um, uh, I think it's Carrie Cooper, who many of you will know. He was talking about the fact that 67% um, of all health issues are now stress and well-being related. So as managers, what a huge responsibility we've got for how we treat our people, because it does affect, it does affect health. So this is a very exciting time to be in comms, to be in HR, because the world's changing. Where organizations need to change to take advantage of this new world of work. Demanding customers, requiring a voice, um, really harnessing diversity and inclusion, having a real eye on levels of well-being and stress. These things dominate, and some organizations are doing extremely well. But on average, huge report just come out, which says the UK falls below the global norms on just about all the satisfaction metrics. Gallup's recent report, sometimes they're a bit extreme, but 59% of people are not engaged, 18% disengaged. You know, if you're running a football team or a hockey team and you applied these statistics, broadly four people really want to win, four are kind of happy if we win, two don't really care, and one's playing for the other side. Now, we wouldn't tolerate that. We wouldn't tolerate our IT systems if they worked brilliantly well to Wednesday lunchtime, and from Wednesday lunchtime to Thursday, they stumbled along, and Friday didn't work at all. We wouldn't tolerate. Why have we why have got this, this situation with such a variation in terms of levels of engagement? And there are great shining lights of people who've got it cracked, so we don't need to develop something new. We just need to make it, make it more average. I love the, uh, the IC index. They, uh, I read here, 14, they define people across the UK, 14% unconvinced, 17% uh, confused followers, 26% miserable moaners, and 44% informed cheerleaders. So we're not doing well enough but it's a very, very exciting time. So what do we, what do, we do about it? What is, what is the thing that we should... How do we, how do we take advantage of all these changes? How do we capitalise all these changes? And I think, really, there are, there are two things that we need to do. Firstly, especially if you're in a big organisation, but even in smaller ones, if you look at your strategies, take a typical sort of 64-page strategy document, from a larger organization on the equivalent in smaller ones and public sector, what are they dominated, what are they dominated by? 
they're dominated by um, by what they're by what they're trying to um, by the sectors that we're going for, uh, by the geographies we want to be in, uh, by the levels of investment we want to make, by the financial ratios we want to achieve. They're dominated by the hard by the hard issues, if you like. They're dominated by all those factual issues, which I'm delighted. I'm delighted they are. We need to know where we're going. As somebody said, if we don't know where we're going, any road takes us there. So let's be clear about what we're trying to do. That's great. But in this 64-page document, about page 60, there's a paragraph and it starts, people are our most important asset. And then there's something fairly broad scale about it. In other words, we're putting 80% of our effort into these harder, more impersonal strategic issues and a hell of a lot less into the people issues. And the evidence is getting more and more compelling that it's the people issues that make or break organizations. Uh, and McKinsey's have just done a big report. 5% of organizations say that they have the capabilities they need to deliver their strategies. So my argument is you need both. You need both. If you get a really engaged group of people together and you launch a new range of fax machines, you will go bust. You need to have the right strategy, but you need to make sure that we integrate the people issues into that. If you want to innovate, if you want to upgrade your innovation levels, levels of innovation, then you need to, in the same breath, address the issues of employees. Um, the, the obvious one for that is Oxford University. We're talking about the fact that those with high levels of psychological safety, which is vital for innovation, exceeded their targets by 17%. Those with low psychological safety uh, failed their targets, fell short by 19%. So, or if you want to be more efficient, what are the processes by which people acknowledge success, be involved in success, because being more efficient, saving costs is a day-to-day -day activity. How do we do that? So to really have, be at that top table, to be at the top table with those leading the organization, talking about how we make sure the people issues are integrated with the key elements of our strategy. We're not doing it enough, and we need to do it more. So if we start with the right attitude, we have the things we're trying to do, be more innovative, be international, be lower cost, whatever it is, and we're really thinking hard about all the people implications of that. We're giving them equal measure and we're integrating them. How at a more practical level do we manifest that? And I would argue that there are four things we identified and I think we would say that they're timeless. 25% say their leaders are uh, not engaged, passionate, and don't inspire their employees. There's far too much loud hailering of our people. What we need to do is we need to work with our people about where the organization is to, has come from, where it is today, and where we aspire to go in the future. We need to work with our employees. We need to involve them. We need to harness their ideas so that it becomes a co-owned sense of what it is that we're trying to, uh, we're trying to achieve. Because that's the way we can cope with agility because we're all pushing in the same kind of, uh, same kind of direction.
The second thing that permeates organizations, making a good fist of the people issues and driving confidence into the future is this. There was a report in America some time ago that 62% of all Americans refer a new boss to a pay rise. So what is the 38% doing that we're broadly happy to work with? And what's the kind of job that engaging managers are having to, uh, having to cope with now? There are, um, are really some compelling set statistics. 53% um, of managers feel burnt out at the moment. 69% of our managers feel uncomfortable talking to their teams. Are we helping them with that? Are we training with that? 71% of companies don't train their managers. And in our own research, Joe, we found, did we not, that... Um, 50% of, of employees had no training through lockdown. So we need, we need to put a hell of a lot more effort into it. And uh, there's plenty of stuff on our website about what we mean by these things, but we need to be clear what's expected. We need to treat our employees as human beings, uh, not... I mean, what are the worst two words in the management lexicon? I'd argue they're human resources. I'm not a human resource. I'm a human being. I'm not a human capital, I'm an individual. And if you treat me as employee 483, that's how I will react. So those people who, it's something to do with childcare, something to do with training and development, these things are, are so important to me having a bigger relationship with my employer. And uh, thirdly, the other thing that uh, we find continuously from huge research over the last 10 years is that the best managers coach and stretch their people continuously. Francis Goss is in the audience somewhere will say, you know, one time per week. So, lots of coaching going on, um, lots of feeling like a human being and very clear what success would look like. The third one that is there, the third way we, we harness our people is we make sure voice counts. Voice travels from the most junior to the most senior, from the front end to the back office. Voice permeates the organisation. Three out of ten people think their opinion counts. So seven feel they're ignored. You know, we cannot succeed with that. 50%, as I said, want more voice. And it isn't about loud hailering, it's about really listening to our people. It's also the cheapest smoke alarm you'll ever find. I don't know about your organisation, so one I run, things were always going wrong. But you catch them when they're small, because there's voice. You don't wait till you've games the emission tests in... North America for the last five years at the cost of, what was the Volkswagen cost? Five billion, was it? You catch things when they're small. So employee voice is great for harnessing ideas, great for make people feeling they're involved, they're affirmed. The, the fourth thing that uh, we found with, um, with organizations that are making a fist of this whole people issue is integrity. I mean, Drucker, one of the management gurus who's really stood the test of time, you know, it's culture eats strategy for breakfast. The question is, what is your culture? And culture, it starts with these thoughts, doesn't it? Lots of organisations have, say, five values on the wall. The question is, are those five values on the wall reflected in the behaviours? If they are, you get integrity. If they're not, you get distrust, and in a distrustful organisation, 
everything takes forever. And it's about the behavioral leadership. Let's, as we draw to a close, let's just um, do a very deeply scientific experiment. Could you all put your, one of your hands in the air and uh, make a circle with your thumb and your first finger and put that circle on your chin? On your chin. You see, most of us take our clues from behavior. So, uh, you know, it's a great reminder that how we behave is really setting the tone. I would finish with this thought. There is a lot, there is a lot out there about engagement, about how we need engaging organizations and engaged people and so on. But there's a hell of a lot of transactional stuff out there, which is a survey, uh, feeding back the results of the survey and asking people to get on with it. I'm, I'm perfectly pro that, but that's not what we're talking about. The, those organizations who are going to confidently move into the future, they start, the leaders start with an attitude that their people are the solution. And when we have a challenge, we will harness our people. So, very exciting times. We need, on average, to do better, but some organizations doing brilliantly are real beacons. If we're really going to improve, we need to start with an attitude set of the people are just as important as the hardest use of strategy, and we need to attend to these four enablers. There is a question, which is why are the people issues lower down the agenda? It's something that we at Engage for Success are starting to work on with Joe and everybody else. Um, so uh, we're, we hope that if you're interested and perhaps like to take part, I'm not quite sure how we'll do this yet, but if you'd like to take part in helping us answer this question, what are the barriers to taking in, uh, people uh, making the, the, taking this to the top of the agenda, then please be involved. So good luck, have a great conference, and thank you very much for listening.